Hello, Summit Church family. And uh, hey, today is Mother's Day, and I want to wish a special uh, uh, shout out to all the, the moms out there. I want you to know that you are appreciated, and uh, and and we honor you, and we just trust that uh, this Mother's Day will be a wonderful day. I know it can be somewhat challenging with the social distancing that's going on, but but I trust you'll be able to meet with uh, with your kids and and uh, and that everything will, will be a uh, it'll be a good day for you. OK, so just want you to know that uh, that you're loved and appreciated. And, and again, I say happy Mother's Day. OK, also, um, uh, uh, of course, this is this is our Sunday, May the 10th service. And uh, it looks like St. Louis County is going to be uh, lifting some some of the restrictions uh, here real soon. And so uh, we'll be able to get back in our building uh, fairly shortly. And so I uh, just want you to know we'll be communicating with you this next week with a text and an email and let you know how we're going to proceed with uh, the reopening of our, our building. I'm looking forward to getting back to our building and having our services there. So that'll that'll be great. But we'll communicate with you. Uh, this week. I want to thank uh, everyone who's been faithful in their tithes and offerings. Uh, you're to be commended for that. And, uh, and again, thanks. And, uh, but since this is our Sunday service, um, let's go ahead and um, receive the tithes and the offerings now. Uh, the information for that will be found around my picture somewhere, or it's on our website at summitchurch.us. And of course, we have online giving, text to give. You can still give with a check if you like. We have a P.O. box. But all that information uh, is available for you. Like I said, either around my picture or on our website at summitchurch.us. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get in with the service. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for the faithfulness of the people, and I ask that you bless them as they give. And I also pray over this message that you would help me to say what it is that the Holy Spirit would 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 once said. And, and we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, let's uh, continue now our series on who, who did it, God or the devil. And uh, hopefully you've been following along the last several weeks. And um, uh, if you've missed any of the sessions, I want to welcome you to go back and uh, listen to those. It'll it'll do you good to listen to them, I think, and then certainly it'll help you get caught up to where we're at today, and it'll make the material we're going to share with you today more meaningful, okay? But uh, our main text for this uh, series is found in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 7. And the last part of that verse, the Lord says, my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. My people do not know the judgment of the Lord. And if you don't know the judgment of the Lord, then certain things can be happening in the land, like this coronavirus. And, and, and if you don't know the judgment of the Lord, then, you know, you can think God is doing something and the devil's behind it. And, uh, you know, a lot of times God gets blamed for a lot of things that he's, that he, he hasn't done. 
And uh, so that's why I'm teaching this series is just to try to help all of us uh, be able to recognize when things are going on, you know, like this coronavirus, you know, is, is it the judgment of God or is, is it an attack of the devil or is it just a, a, you know, just something that's happening because we're living in a fallen world or, you know, so that's the the the, the reason I'm teaching this series is to help help all of us be able to recognize when something is God's judgment and and when it's not. So I want everyone to be able to know what the judgment of the Lord is. And uh, of course, uh, uh, John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes, you know, not but for to steal, kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So that's a good rule of thumb to follow uh, when things are happening. If something is stealing, killing and destroying, uh, the devil's behind it. If it's giving life, then God's behind it. Uh, but you also need to understand how God operates in judgment. And uh, and so, again, that's why we're teaching this series. Now, um, we've looked at God's method of operation in judgment, and I just want to review that with you very quickly. Uh, God always warns before he judges. And he'll typically inform you what the judgment is. And then he always gives time to repent. He gives time to repent. And uh, that's what he's looking for. I mean, uh, the goodness of God is seen really in his judgment. Uh, You know, there's the goodness of God and the severity of God, as we've talked about. But the goodness of God is seen in in his judgment because the reason he judges is he wants people to repent. And uh, but anyway, he always gives time to repent. And then upon repentance, you know, judgment will stop. Uh, now, if there is no repentance, then uh, you know, and time runs out, then God will 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 execute judgment because, you know, he, he, he is he's a great and good, wonderful, loving heavenly father. He's also a God of judgment. We need to understand that. Um, now, since, by, you know, the Bible says, uh, Judgment begins at the house of God, and God will judge his people. So since the Bible says that, um, we uh, started last week to begin to look at how God judges his people. And uh, now he also executes judgment on the world or on sinners. We'll look at that in a future session, but how God judges his people. And last week, of course, we talked to you about God's chastening process. Now, I'm not going to Take the time here to go back through all of that. You can go back to our previous session last week and get caught up. But I do want to call your attention again to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 31 and 32. Verse 31 says, if we judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. Now, that's a good deal right there. You see, God wants us to, when we miss it, he wants us to judge ourselves, and then he doesn't have to do it. So that's a good, that's a good deal. But the Bible goes on to say, you know, and if we won't judge ourselves, then when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. And again, we talked about that last week and, you know, what that means. It's, it's a correction process, just like a, a, a good parent would correct their children when they, when they, you know, mess up. That's how God uh, will deal with us as his children and remember, we're all children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we mess up, God will begin to chasten us. 
And uh, notice uh, it says right here, but when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. Now, I want to say a little bit about that, that we might not be condemned with the world. Um, you see, when, when a Christian misses it and gets, gets over into an area of sin, God will begin to, to, to chasten us. And, and the reason is stated right here, that we might not be condemned with the world. Now, that, that's an that's, that's a interesting uh, statement. I've been asked about that over the years. Uh, and, and I want to just say this about it. I'm convinced that a, a Christian, uh, when they miss it, get off into sin. You know, sin hardens. It'll harden your heart. And the longer that sin is, is, is continued in or practiced, the harder the heart will become. And, and I'm convinced that if a Christian continues in sin long enough and, 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 and they just go on and on and on and on and on in sin, their heart will become harder and harder and harder and harder. And it's it, it, to the point that at some, at some time, some point, if they continue in sin, very likely, very possibly, they could walk away from the Lord, and if that happened, then they'd be condemned with the world. This is a very serious thing, but God doesn't want that to happen, and so that's why he steps in with his chastening process to, to get us to, to repent, okay? And so uh, this chastening process Remember, we said last week, we read from the book of Hebrews, it's not a pleasant thing when God chastens us, but it's for our own good, okay? And then we, note, we noted what the chastening process was, how our heart will begin, you know, to condemn us or convict us is a better word when we sin, you know, and you miss it, you, oh, gets it, oh, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about, you know when you've missed it, all right? And, uh, and, and again, we're supposed to repent right there and judge ourselves so we won't be judged. But if we won't do that, then God will chasten us with his word. He'll chasten us. Uh, the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with us. And, uh, and then, again, another method, and a lot of people don't realize this as they should, is that the Lord will many times use his ministers to uh, bring chastening or correction uh, to us. As I said last week, just through general teaching, weekly teachings from the pulpit in the church, from the Word of God, nothing where a pastor is going to call you out and embarrass you or anything like that, but just in the general teaching of the Bible, um, you know, the Lord a lot of times will, will chasten you and correct you that way. Uh, so he'll use his ministers to do it. And, uh, uh, so you need to be aware of that and understand. See, a lot of people don't know the judgment of the Lord. They don't know how, how he operates. And one way he operates is he'll use a minister a lot of times to bring correction. And even, you know, could have a minister, your pastor. That's why you need to find out where God wants you to go to church and be there regularly and sit under the teaching that uh, of that pastor. And, uh, and, and you know, you miss it, you get off in an area and you're not repenting. The pastor might even privately call you aside, talk to you, you know, just to 
again, to try to help you and get you back on track. And, and um, we started looking at some examples last week of this. And uh, I want to continue today. But last week we saw how God sent Nathan the prophet to King David after he had, uh, had, had committed adultery and uh, murder, accessory to murder, you know. And, uh, and, and, and David was headed to, to dying. He was going to die. Very clear in scripture, he was going to die, but God sent Nathan the prophet to him. God in his great goodness sent Nathan the prophet to him to get David to repent. And uh, I covered that last week, so I'll not go through that again today, but very interesting. Now today, what I want to look at is let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and pick up with verse 16. This is a, a favorite character of mine, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. His name was Uzziah, King Uzziah, and uh, he began to seek the Lord when he was was a young young man, about 16 years old. He became king, and he did a lot of wonderful and great things uh, as a result of seeking the Lord, and he, and he sought God, and God made him prosper and all of that. Many, many wonderful things happened. But in verse 16, 2 Chronicles 26, 16 said, when he was strong. You see, he sought God, God blessed him, and he became very strong. But when he was strong, Uzziah's heart was lifted up to his destruction. You know, pride always goes before a fall and and, and destruction. And he became prideful, and he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Uh, it was something he wasn't supposed to do. He was a king, not a priest, and uh, and and and, uh, and he missed it. Now this was when he was uh, he started started as king at sixteen, and this was a fifty-two years later. So he's sixty-eight years old when this is going on, and he wasn't satisfied with being king. He wanted to be a priest also. You know, we need to find out from God what it is He wants us to do, and then we just need to. Just stick with it, and um, and and and. But Uzziah, he wanted to be something that God didn't call him to be, and uh, I think being king would be pretty neat. But he wanted to be priest also, and so he stepped out of that role and got over where he shouldn't have been. And notice verse seventeen. So Azariah the priest went in after him after Uzziah because Uzziah had gone in to burn incense. And notice, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. Now, now notice this. Uzziah misses it. He missed it bad. He's, he's doing something that's, that he shouldn't be doing that's very dangerous, okay? He's off in sin here now. He's just being disobedient to God. And God sent the, the priest and 80 other priests to bring correction to the king. And notice verse 18, and they withstood King Uzziah. See, the priests were there to withstand him. They weren't there to hurt Uzziah. They were there at the direction of the Lord to help Uzziah. See, a lot of people don't realize that God will use his ministers to bring chastening and correction to them. Okay, you need to understand that. And so 
uh, they went in and they withstood him and said, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests and, and, and so on, who are consecrated to burn incense. It's to get out of the sanctuary. You've trespassed. You'll have no honor from the Lord. And then verse 19 is a very interesting verse. The Bible says Uzziah became furious. Now, you know, uh, when we miss it and God corrects us, you know, the book of Hebrews, we read it last week, we're not supposed to despise the chastening of the Lord. But here you can see Uzziah is furious. He's angry. He's upset. He's mad. And, 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 and he should have repented right there, but instead he's furious. And he, he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And notice this, while he was angry with the priests. You see, Uzziah must not have understood God's, God's uh, method of judgment in his correction process. Remember, God said, my people don't know my judgments. And apparently Uzziah didn't know. That, that God was using this, these priests to, to, for his good. And instead of him repenting and saying, you know what? Well, I'm so glad, Lord, that you sent these, these guys in here to help me and get me back on track. Uzziah did what so many people that I've dealt with over the years do. I say so many, but, you know, quite a few. Instead of, you know, when I preached a message or, you know, something, just a general message from the pulpit from, you know, just to the congregation. And, you know, sometimes it steps on people's toes and, you know, instead of them saying, you know, Lord, I repent. Thank you for having the pastor preach that today. Now I've had those cases too, where people have been grateful and they've repented and they've come told me, you know, boy, I'm so glad you preached on that. It stepped on my toes, but it helped me. And I'm going to straighten it, some things up or whatever the case, you know, but I've had some over the years, I mean, they get as mad as a wet hornet, just upset, angry. And, um, and, and I was just up teaching the word of God. Generally, I didn't even know they needed correction. It was just something's going on in their life. And the Lord had me preach a message, got over on their toes and they get angry. See, they don't understand the judgment of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord. And Uzziah didn't understand it either. And he became furious and he was angry with the priests. And again, he should have repented. He should have judged himself, but instead he got angry with the preachers. Interesting. Now notice here. This, now watch this. God's trying to chasten him. Not trying to chasten. He is chastening him through these priests. And Uzziah, instead of repenting, now watch this. Serious stuff here. He gets angry with the priests and leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Isaiah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. You know, it's, it's I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but I tell you what, we ought to be grateful for the chastening process of the Lord. But, you know, if we won't listen to the Lord, eventually, the judgment of God, I mean, he'll, God, let's say it this way, God will take more severe measures. And leprosy broke out on Uzziah, and they thrust him out of, the, out of the temple, out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out, 
because the Lord had struck him. Now, a lot of people don't want to read that verse. They'll say, oh, God would never do anything like that. Said the Lord struck him. Said the Lord struck him. But notice the Lord didn't start out striking him. The Lord started out chastening him. And it's very possible that the Lord, and I'm convinced of this, that the Lord had been dealing with Uzziah about this long before the priests ever got involved. That's just my opinion. And if you study God's method of operation, I think it's pretty clear God is dealing with him before the priests ever got involved. I'm convinced of that. But he wouldn't listen to the to the priests. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, the preachers, he wouldn't, he wouldn't repent. And so then the Lord struck him. It's in the Bible. There's no way to explain around around it. There's the goodness of God. There's the severity of God. God wants us to judge ourselves. If we won't do that, he'll intervene with chastening and so forth. But if we won't listen to that, God struck him. Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. And it's interesting. Typically, when people repent in Scripture, the Bible tells us when they don't repent, as my study of it, they typically the Bible is silent. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not so sure. I don't think Uzziah ever really repented of this. And it cost him. He was struck with leprosy. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. I'm convinced if he had repented, even after he was struck, and even after God took this severe measure of judgment on him, I'm convinced if he'd have repented, God would have forgiven him. I mean, we'll look at it in a future session how one of the most evil men in the Bible that um, was just a rank sinner, and and uh, he repented, and God restored his kingdom to him. I'm convinced God would have restored Uzziah, but he never repented. You know, I I, I I've dealt with a lot of people over the years, most of them wonderful, but there's some of them I've dealt with they they'd almost rather die and go to hell than admit they was wrong. Something, isn't it? When somebody can't admit they're wrong, or they even could be wrong. And it looks like that was the case with Uzziah. And uh and he he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Now, I, I he was a saved man, as far as I'm concerned, he was a king of Israel, knew the Lord, convinced he 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 made heaven, but boy, it didn't need to end that way. Didn't need to end that way. Hey, let's continue on with this. That's sobering. That's a sobering example, isn't it? I think it is. Hey, let's move on now. I'll stay on the same vein here, but let's look at something else. Let's go over to the book of Revelation, okay? And let's look at something over here. You know, there were in chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, there's uh, uh, seven churches mentioned there in chapters two and three. And five of them were were doing real good. I'm sorry. Two of them were doing real good. And and as the Lord addressed them through John, um, the, the apostle, 
And Jesus had a message for each of the seven churches. Um, now let me get this straight. Two of them were doing real good. There were seven total. I'll get my numbers right here in just a minute. There were seven total. Okay. Seven total. Two of them were doing wonderfully. Okay. And they really had no message of correction from the Lord. But five of them had some problems in them, churches. Okay, seven churches total. Of the seven, two of them were doing just fine. There was, Jesus didn't have any messages of correction or repentance for two of them. But five of them, five of the seven churches had some problems in them, some serious problems, and they needed repentance. And you know, Jesus, the Lord Jesus sent a message to these five churches uh, through the Apostle John. See, now there it is again. Five of these churches needed correction. And God did it through a minister who had responsibility over these churches. See, they, see how God chastens. He'll bring correction. And, and most of the time, well, the way it starts out, he'll deal with your heart directly. And, and and if you won't listen to that, then, you know, uh, he'll, he'll use other things. And, and one of them is a minister. And think about it. God, you know, the Lord Jesus brought correction to five of these seven churches through the ministry of John the Apostle. Oh, that's why it's so important that you're in the church God wants you to be in. And, uh, you know, and, and, and most of the messages the pastor preaches should be encouraging and uplifting. But I'm telling you, there's some times where the pastor, through the word of God, just him lovingly teaching the word of God, ought to get on your toes somewhere, you know, because the Bible says if we're out, if we're without chastening, we read it last week, we're with, we're with all of become partakers, then we're illegitimate, not even children of God. So let's be thankful when God corrects us, okay? And so these churches of Revelation, they got correction through the Apostle John, okay? And so uh, as you look at these, these churches, even the ones, the five of them that had problems in them, uh, Jesus commended, see, here's his method of operation even further as it pertains to judgment. He'll commend, Jesus will always commend for the good first. And you see that that he, if you read, read these messages that he had for each of the churches, and I recommend that you do, uh, he'll commend and point out the good stuff. And then he'll point out what's, you know, what's wrong. And then he'll make a call to repentance to the church, okay? Certainly sinners need to repent, but even children of God need to repent, okay? When they, when they miss it, okay? And so he'll, Jesus will point, commend the good, point out what's wrong, call to repentance, and state what will happen if there is no repentance. And then he'll state what blessings will follow if there is repentance, okay? So that's how God moves. That's how the Lord moves, you know, in, in judgment and so forth, you know, in with these churches. He'll point out the good. And he'll point out, hey, you're missing it here, you're missing it there, you're missing it there. Now you need to repent, which the Lord did. That's what he told John to tell these churches. And then he'll he'll say, now, but if you don't repent, here's what's going to happen. And then 
If you do repent, then, then here's the blessings, okay? So that's how the Lord operates. Now, uh, it's interesting, and I want you to look at, at Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, this was the last church mentioned, the seventh church. And in nine, verse 19, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all seven churches, okay? But just point some things out. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Now, he said that to the last church, but it would apply to all of the churches, and it would apply to you and me, and it goes right along with what the Holy Spirit said in the book of Hebrews, you know, that that, that chastening is, is for our good, and that we shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, we, we don't enjoy it, of course, but we shouldn't, you know, be angry like Uzziah was, when the Lord chastens us, but we need to know that when the Lord chastens us, it's because he loves us. And even when it gets hot and heavy sometimes and the Lord's rebuking us, stepping on our toes, so to speak, it says, as many as I love, I rebuke. Now that's stronger than just a mild little correction. That's a, re- a re- he says, I rebuke and chasten those whom I love. And then he says, be zealous and repent. Don't get angry. Don't get mad, but rather be glad that God loves you so much to correct you if you need correcting, okay? But anyway, I want to look at two of these churches a little more specifically now. Let's look at the first one, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Now now watch this. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, and the angel was the pastor. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, those were the pastors of the churches and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those are the the churches. The lampstands were symbolic of the churches. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You've uh, and you have uh, persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. So see, he points out the good stuff. That's Jesus's MO here. Points out the good method of operation. Points out the good stuff. Then verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you. Now he's going to point out something that they're doing wrong. He said, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Now think about that. Our first love is our, relate, our, our relationship with the Lord Jesus, our, our closeness with him. And as you study into this, really, this church got so busy working for Jesus that they lost their closeness with him, okay? They didn't lose their salvation, no. They lost their closeness with him. And they were, you know, you can get so busy working for the Lord sometimes that you lose your closeness with him. And that's what had happened. And much we could say about it, but in a nutshell, that's what happened. And then he says, verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. That means have a change of heart, change of direction. He said, repent and do the first works. Get back to it. Get back to putting Jesus first. Get back to putting me first is what the Lord's telling them instead of all these other things. And then he says, or else, or else, listen to that, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. 
unless you repent. Now, he's always, the Lord's always looking for that repentance. Even at the last minute, he's looking for people to repent. And what does it mean to remove your lampstand? Well, the lampstand was symbolic of the church. Here's what the Lord told him. He said, look, you got a lot of good things going on here, but you've gotten to a place where you're putting other things ahead of me. Now, now repent and get that right. And if you don't, I'm going to eventually come. said, I'm going to come quickly. And I'm going to shut your church down. I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to shut your church down. Sobering, isn't it? I'll shut your church down. Well, that's why it's so important to keep Jesus first in everything we do. Not only when we meet, whether it's online here or in the building, but in our everyday lives, keep Jesus first, okay? But they didn't do that. And he said, if you don't straighten it up, I'm going to come shut it down. And then even after he gave him that stern rebuke, he said, unless you repent. Again, Jesus is always looking for us to repent. He didn't want to come and shut the church down. He wanted him to repent and, and keep him first and then do all these other good things they were doing. But you know what? As you study back in church history and you study church history, uh, many years later, no, many years later, he said, I'll come quickly, but that's according to the Lord's view of quickness. And his view of quickness and our view of quickness is not the same, you know. Um, what is What does the Bible say? Uh, a day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is a day. So, you know, 1,000 years to us is like a day to him. So it's on his timetable, time but you know what? As time went on, these people did not repent. And he shut the church down. Think about that. He gave them space. He gave them time to repent. They didn't do it. He shut it down. Again, he didn't come in there. Remember his method of operation. He didn't come in, in there as, as step one and shut the, shut the place down. No, he gave them ample time to repent. They didn't do it. And church history bears out that in the process of time, many years later, he did shut, the Lord shut the place down, shut the church down. He removed the lampstand. And it, it, it didn't have to be that way. Now, in this case, he shut it down. The Lord did. That's interesting. If you took the time and looked at the church in Smyrna, we're talking about this series, Who Did It, God or the Devil? You know, who was behind it? Now, in this case, I mean, God, like God struck Uzziah, God removed the lampstand. God shut it down. God struck Uzziah. God shut the church down, but only after ample time to repent was given. But the church in Smyrna, if you went over there and read that, Jesus told them that the devil was about to do some things and he was going to throw them into prison, I believe it was 10 days, and so on and so forth. See, now over in Smyrna, that church, the devil was behind what was going on with them. some of them going into prison for 10 days and all of that. But in this case, the Lord did it himself. 
okay? It's, it's important that we understand the judgment of the Lord. So this church was shut down eventually. Now, you know, it's interesting that church I mentioned a moment ago when we read from Revelation 3.19, that was the last church, the church in Laodicea. Now, it's interesting, that's known as the lukewarm church. Lukewarm, now, it's, it's not good to be lukewarm. We need to be on fire for the Lord. And, and that church actually made Jesus nauseous. He said, because you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Think about that. But it's interesting. He warned that church. He rebuked them. He told them, be, he said, be zealous and repent. He said, I love you. That's why I'm rebuking you. Be zealous and repent. You know what church history shows with that church, that lukewarm church? They repented. They repented. And God was able to use that church to do some good things on down the road. So you see, when the Lord judges his people, he'll chasten us to correct us, to get us back online and the way we're supposed to be going. And if we don't, then God will take more severe measures, okay? But it's also that we don't ultimately get so hardened in our heart that we walk away from him, okay? Now, I want to look at this other one here in the time I have left, this, this another one of these churches, as it really bears out everything I've been saying to you for the last couple of sessions. It's Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. And he says this to the uh, church in Thyatira. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, you study into this. This was the pastor's wife, okay? And uh, and she was calling herself a prophetess. Be watchful of people that are calling themselves prophets and prophetesses all the time. Just be watchful of those kind of people, okay? Enough said there, okay? Just be watchful of people that are calling themselves prophets and prophetesses. I found out that those people typically aren't, okay? But this lady was calling herself a prophetess. Nothing wrong with female ministers. I'm all for female ministers. Nothing wrong with that at all. But, you know, this lady, as you study into it, though, you could see that she was rebellious and she was usurping authority over her husband. I think it's very clear. And uh, and and Jesus is writing uh, or having John write to, to her husband pastor of this church. And he says, you allow. So he was getting on a pastor. Jesus was getting on a pastor through John for allowing, not for allowing his his wife to minister, nothing wrong with that, but for her to do some things she shouldn't have been doing, as we'll see. And the pastor was allowing it. And he said, you allow that woman Jezebel. And, and he said, well, why didn't he call her by her actual name? This name is, most scholars say it's just a symbolic, that really wasn't her name. Jesus didn't want to embarrass her. I'm convinced of that. He's not in the embarrassing business. But she was she was likened unto Jezebel in the Old Testament, who was a rebellious wife, I'm telling you, and, uh, and who calls herself a prophetess. Now, watch what she was doing. 
to teach to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now think about that going on in the church. Think about that. Committing. <laughs> she was the her husband was allowing her to get up in the pulpit and teach and seduce Jesus' servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, this church needed some rebuking, didn't it? And notice verse 21. And Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. I gave her time to repent. See, there it is. I gave her time. I gave her space to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. You study into it when it says it did not repent. You study into that, it it says it really means she as you study in it, she did not want to repent. Serious stuff, ladies and gentlemen. She didn't want to repent. Now, I'm convinced that this wasn't the first time the Lord dealt with her. If you study his MO, you know, when she's got off into this, now now I mean now, some may disagree with me, but she's a, she's a member of this church, apparently a believer, a child of the Lord. But she got off into bad stuff. And I believe the Lord had been dealing with her and dealing with her and dealing with her, not listening. And now he's taking a more severe measure. He's having John, you know, the Lord's having John rebuke her. And and he but he brings out I gave her space to repent so there was a time in there before this letter ever came that she had to repent. That's how good isn't Jesus good? He's gracious and merciful. He's given her time to repent. He gives that to all of us time to repent. He said he, I gave her space or time to repent of her sexual immorality. She didn't want to repent. See, that's how her heart was getting harder and harder and harder the long that she proceeded in this sinful activity. And now the Lord, now watch what he says, and I will cast her into a sick bed. Now, he didn't say the devil's going to do it. He said, I will do it. But notice he didn't come in there and start out with the sick bed. That was the ultimate final result. After, I'm sure her heart had been convicting her, the Lord had been dealing with her in her spirit, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. She's not listening to any of it. And now comes a letter from the Apostle John, from the Lord Jesus, rebuking her. And, and he's telling her, and if she doesn't repent, he's notice he's giving her fair warning. He doesn't want to cast her into the sick bed. He's giving her fair warning. Get this thing straightened up, or your headed sickness is going to hit your body. And he says, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, there's some trouble going to come ahead if they don't repent. He says, unless they repent of their deeds. See, that's what the Lord's looking for, repentance. He, he didn't want to have to throw her into a sick bed, and those who those who are listening to her teaching and following her teaching, he didn't want to have to do that. That's why he's warning. Straighten it up so I don't have to do it. 
but he gave her fair warning. Again, he didn't just come in there and throw her in a sick bed. He gave her long time to repent. That's his MO. That's how that's he's loving. He's God's loving. He gives us time. But it, and he's warning her here. And then he says, I will kill her children with death. Now, if you read that just in the King James or New King James, don't study into it. It, it is a little blind to us. Uh, read it, I believe, in the Amplified Classic. I believe that'll help you. It's not talking about little bitty babies. It's talking about her proper followers, those who followed her most closely in this false doctrine and false teaching and committing sexual immorality and, and eating things sacrificed to idols. That's who the Lord's going to execute judgment on it if they don't repent. I'll kill her proper followers, her, her, her closest disciples with death. Think about that. See, a lot of people don't want to want to read that as, and hook it up with that the Lord would ever do something like that. But behold the goodness and the severity of the Lord. You see his great goodness in this, but if they won't listen eventually, then there's, there's severity. He said, I'll kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I'll give each one according to your works. But even here, you see that the Lord keeps saying, I'm going to do all these things unless they repent, unless they repent, unless they repent. I gave her space to repent. If they repent, even, I mean, even uh, if the Lord's getting ready, just as he's getting ready to throw her into the sickbed, if she re truly repents, he, he'd stop. He wouldn't do it. So we learned some things about the judgment of the Lord. We learned some things about his chastening. We learned a lot of interesting things, and I trust this has been helpful to you today. I see that my time is just about run out. So I think this is a good stopping point. Next week, we're going to pick up with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. And they fell dead in church. I'm going to talk about that. And so we'll get to that next week. But I want to take this time right now to say this. And I'd mentioned something similar last Wednesday, but I feel impressed to the Spirit of God to say it again. Concerning the United States, you know, uh, great nation. I'm happy and so proud to be a citizen of the United States. This nation was founded as a Christian nation. But over the last many, many, many years, it's by and large, and not everybody, but by and large, has turned away from the, the Lord. And uh, he's been kicked out of the public square and public school. Abortion has been the law of the land with multiplied millions of babies slaughtered in their mother's womb. And same-sex marriage has been legalized, which the Bible says is, is, is same-sex marriage is considered an, an abomination to the Lord. And all those things have been welcomed into the to the land, the United States. Uh, God has been made out of so many different things, including sports. Many Christians, instead of honoring the house of God on Sundays, are honoring 
sports and not even bother to go to church, but go, rather going to do their sports activities. Much we could say about it, but the nation by and large has turned away from the Lord. And, you know, and on 9-11, a terrible day, I don't believe that was sent as judgment of God, but I believe God wanted to use that as an occasion to get us to repent. And, you know, we did so as a nation for about a week or so, and then went right back to our old ways. And now he's given us 19 years of space to repent. And, and I've seen as a nation, I'm talking as a nation now, I've seen by and large no repentance, but rather really racing further away from the Lord. And uh, it's very sad, but the Lord has given us time to repent. And now you have the coronavirus. And I think you can see that, that you know, because people have asked, you know, well, did God send that in judgment? Well, to the to the United States. Well, you know, it's it's all around the world. So how can you say God's just centered in on the United States? And it really doesn't fit all of the God's M.O. as being part of his judgment. You know, he doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked. We pointed that out. But yet I believe he's using this as an occasion to get all of our attention, to get our attention. Uh, you know, you talk about sports, or I mentioned it a moment ago, but, you know, I've watched this for years where Christian, I'm talking Christians now, not all of them, but so many, you know, I know right here in St. Louis, I watched it where when the Rams were running to the Super Bowl, and I was all for the Rams. Let's have them win. But that was more important to the Christians in St. Louis than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got up in my pulpit at that time at the direction of the Holy Spirit and said, remember, a lamb died for young Calvary, not a ram. It made a lot of people upset. And so sports now, you know, I look at Sunday mornings and folks going to Christians now going to do their sports instead of coming to church. Not all of them, but so many of them. And now think about it. Sports. Just one thing I want to point out. Sports have been completely shut down, you know, totally. It's interesting. You don't give God, you know, his day. Well, he can take all of them. Now, I'm not saying he brought the coronavirus and and I'm all for sports, but. I'm all for also keeping Jesus first, our first love. So there's a lot of things to think about. And so I don't believe God sent the coronavirus, but I believe he's using it as an occasion to get our attention. Just like 9-11, I believe, was used as an occasion to get our attention, not sent by God, but uses it as an occasion. 19 years have come and gone. He's given us ample space to repent. We haven't repented. And now we're talking about going back to business as usual. And I'm excited about let's getting the economy going again. You know, uh, the, so many deaths and the uh, economic uh, hardships that are going on. I'm all for getting things back to back. To, you know, yeah, certainly. I'm looking forward to getting back in our building. I'm talking to, as a nation at large. And I said this on Wednesday. I want to say it again. I I believe if we go back as a nation to our regular lifestyle without repentance, like, like what happened 
19 years ago at 9-11, and we went back to life as usual without repentance. I believe if we go back this time without repentance, I believe we're going to do so at our own peril. Talking as a nation. You know, repentance is what needs to be preached in this land right now. Repentance to the churches and certainly repentance to the nation at large. That's a message that needs to be coming across all of the virtual airwaves because we can't meet really in person now. But all the virtual airwaves need to be declaring repentance, showing the love of God forth with a message of repentance. Not the time for lollipops, rainbows, and sunshine messages. As good as those are, and I preach a lot of those, but sometimes we need to preach repentance. And that's the kind of message that needs to be going forth to this, to the churches and to the to the nation. Repentance. You know, I've watched, I've looked around, I have a hat right up here on my shelf. Maybe I'll get it down sometime for you, but it's got an O on it. And I wear it sometimes and it means observer and I like to observe. I don't I don't want the hat with the J on it and judgmental, but I like to observe. And you know, as I've observed different virtual uh services and ministers and one thing I haven't heard, uh, just very little, there's some, but just very little, of a message of repentance. I haven't heard much about it. And that's the message that this nation needs right now, the message of repentance. You know, I'll close with this. In 1986, my favorite golfer, Jack Nicklaus, was on the 15th fairway, the final round of the Masters. And he was on the, uh, on the 15th fairway. It's a par five. He was getting ready to hit his second shot. And he turned to his son and he said, how far do you think a three would go right here? Because he was set, set in a position where he had, a, he had a chance to win that Masters. And he asked his son, how far do you think a three would go here? Well, his son thought he was talking about three iron, you know, and, and Jack, Jack said, no, I mean an eagle three. If you get a three on a five par, that's called an eagle. He said, how far do you think a three would go here? And the implication was to helping me win this golf tournament. How far do you think a three would go here? Well, we all know how that ended. He got the three. He got the eagle on 15, and he went on to win the golf tournament, took him to the winner's circle, and, and a great victory. We saw how far a three went there. You know, I say that to say this. I wonder how far national repentance would go in this nation to getting us success over this coronavirus. I just wonder how far national repentance would go. I wonder how far it would would go if we welcome God back into the public square and into the public school. I wonder how far it would go if we overturned Roe versus Wade and outlawed slaughtering babies in their mother's wombs. I wonder how far it would go if we nationally repented of this same-sex marriage law and honored 
God's law of marriage between a man and a woman as a husband and a wife. I wonder how far it would go if if we said as a nation, you know, Sunday is going to be set aside as the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and we're going to shut everything down, including sports. Just we're going to shut everything down, and Sunday belongs to the Lord, and we're going to honor him. Christians, remember, when I was a kid, you went out on Sunday. Everything was shut down. I wonder if we went back to that and had national repentance from the preacher in the pulpit to the person in the pew, from the president to the Senate to the Congress, all the way down to like in Nineveh to the ponies in the stable. But repentance across the board, preachers, Christians in pews, president, both houses of Congress, like I said, all the way down to the ponies in the pew. Ponies in the pew, (laughs) ponies in the stable. I hope there's no ponies in the pew. But seriously, I wonder how far national repentance would go into getting God to intervene in a mighty, miraculous way to stamp out the coronavirus. I wonder how far national repentance would go. Well, we know how far that three went for Jack Nicholas in 1986, as I described. I'm convinced national repentance would go a whole lot further for this nation. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this nation. I pray for all the preachers. I pray for all the Christians. I pray for our president, vice president, both houses of Congress, Senate, and the Congress, that any spiritual blindness that's upon any of us, including me, would be pulled down. And I just ask that our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see all of us, that we need repentance. Not just a day of prayer, as wonderful as that is, or just a short time of this or that, but a full-scale national repentance. Sir, I ask that that the eyes of all of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would see the necessity of that. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us here today. Again, happy Mother's Day. I went a little bit long, but that's okay. Hey, you don't have anywhere else to go or do anyway, so you might as well listen to me preach a little long. But uh, again, happy Mother's Day. I trust you're getting something out of this series on uh, who did it, God or the devil. And uh, hey, I'm going to pick up this Wednesday with our study on end times for dummies. Okay. So hey, God bless you. And uh, I'll see you Wednesday. Okay. And, And again, for our Summit Church family, we'll be communicating with you this week on uh, when we're going to look at potentially having our first service back in our building. Okay. All right. God bless you. Uh, uh, Bye-bye.